0: We are honored to have with us James Galliano. He is a uh, he's a retired FBI uh, agent. He is a an incredible uh, tactical expert. He is an author. And uh, Jimmy, thanks so much for being with us today.
1: Betsy, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So I want to jump right into it. The the National Police Association has an initiative where we're trying to. Um, inform the public about what defunding the police really means. Now at first all the post George Floyd stuff there was a lot of talk of just abolishing the police get rid of us and uh, we won't have these problems and uh, people have started to realize that's not such a great idea. So now we're talking about defunding the police i.e taking money and resources away from us, talk about what kind of a disaster that's really going to be if it happens.
1: So Betsy, I, I don't know any law enforcement professional that watched the video of George Floyd in Minneapolis on Memorial Day, which, which feels like it was years ago, but really was just a few months ago. I don't know any law enforcement professional that said, hey, that's an inappropriate use of force. That's, that's not the way we should do our business. And you know what? Every police officer is entitled to due process. Let's await the process here in the criminal justice system. But that is not what we are about. Now, having said that, where we have gone from that, from all of us united, whether it was the thin blue line or activists or whoever it was, we have now devolved into this, this position where we are having to defend and argue that law enforcement as a profession writ large needs to be dismantled. And, and you use the code words, the, the, the buzzwords, defund the police, abolish the police. From my perspective, 25 years in the FBI, much of that time, either on tactical teams or on FBI NYPD task forces working violent street crime, it is two words. It is unserious and it is dangerous. In New York City alone, they have a 7 billion that's billion with a b dollar budget for the NYPD 36,000 cops they work the five boroughs in New York which is 8.4 million people it's a majority minority department one of the most restrained in the world they just lost 1 billion dollars of their budget because the city council decided hey we need violence, violence disruptors and more social workers out there to respond to domestic abuse cases, uh, terrorist cases, um, drug dealing, violent street gangs and all those kind of things. So I think it's folly. And I think that we've got to calm down. We've got to, we've got to bring smart people together. We have to relook at this. Can policing be more professionalized? I think all of us agree there's things we can absolutely do to get better. But is abolish the police or defund the police a smart, serious, or safe alternative? Betsy, the answer is no.
0: Absolutely. And there's so much, there's calls for we need more community policing. We need more, um, you know, bias training, things like that. We have been doing community policing in this country since the 1970s. And just since the time that I got into law enforcement in 1980 until... Now, we have so improved our training, our professionalism, our education, our way that we deal with all communities. We do nothing but improve all the time. That's what we do. That's why cops get into police work, right? We want to help our communities and whatever we can do to improve that, that's what we're going to do. But it takes money to be able to do that, right? 100%.
1: And I think a big problem is this. We're all human beings. We're fallible. No police officer that has to make a decision in a nanosecond, you know, in low light conditions, in extremist conditions with consequential life or death in the balance. No police officer is perfect. I certainly wasn't a perfect law enforcement officer. We did the best that we could under the circumstances. We're fallible human beings. And people talk about now, the critics, right? The anti-cop critics about the implicit biases that we in law enforcement have. Okay, that's fair. And the argument here is, and again, this is part of my doctoral pursuit at St. John's University. I'm looking at officer-involved shootings and whether or not there are racial disparities. Here's the argument. Well, police officers are disproportionately shooting and killing young black males. And the argument is this, If African Americans make up 12 or 13% of the population, we have a country of 327 million people. Why are they being shot disproportionately to say Caucasians? And here's the pushback that never happens. You know, groups do not offend equally. And if we pretend that they do, we're not being responsible. So last year, the FBI's uniform crime reporting, right? Comes out with this, this, this report, this exhaustive report every year suggested that African Americans commit 54.9% of the homicides in this country. Okay, that doesn't mean every African American is guilty of being a murderer. That doesn't mean every African American needs to be treated with suspicion. That's fair. But if you also look at police officers and you're bigoted toward police because you suggest that, and I'm I'm gonna blow you away with some stats here. Every year, okay, The Department of Justice, Bureau of Justice Statistics has reported that there is somewhere around 76 million interactions between police and civilians. Now, other people, other studies have looked at this and say it's actually around 250 or 300 million. That could be everything from pulling somebody over for a broken taillight to helping an old lady across the street to responding to a 911 call, to arresting a bank robber. All those things are interactions. So let's just use the range of 76 million, the low end, to 350 million interactions. Every year, police officers in this country shoot and kill 1,000 people. The vast majority of those 1,000 are armed and dangerous and either trying to kill a police officer or kill an innocent. There is an infinitesimal amount of, a tiny percentage that are unarmed. And again, Betsy, you know this. Unarmed just means I didn't bring a gun or knife to the fight. But if I try to take your gun off of you, if I punch you in the face and try to disarm you, if I pick up a stick and use it as a cudgel, I am unarmed. So that's how ridiculous that is. Well, if you look at the numbers... African-Americans every year, five, six, seven, nine. And and look, there are definitely questionable shootings. There are definitely shootings that need to be scrutinized. Police officers are not perfect vessels, we know that. But it is this much of the entire profession, 800,000 uniformed police officers in this country, 1,000 fatal shootings, 99% of those shootings are spot on and righteous and a tiny infinitesimal fraction requires scrutiny. And what are we doing? We're doing what the anti-cop crowd says we shouldn't. We're being bigoted and we're looking at these folks and we're isolating the few, Betsy, to smear the whole.
0: And at the forefront of that movement is Antifa. And we talk to, you know, we talked to law enforcement officers all over the country and we've had a lot of interactions With both uh, state, uh, all state, federal, and local officers in Portland, in Seattle, in Chicago, in New York, it's incredibly frustrating. And yet, Antifa puts itself out there to the public as the free speech people, the anti-fascists. Can you please enlighten us on what Antifa, who, who they really are, Jimmy?
1: You know who the real Antifa was? My grandfather, Francis J. Petrie, you know, served in World War II and, and the young Americans that stormed the beaches of Normandy in 1945, mm-hmm. I believe June of 1945, and they entered under a hail of withering Nazi machine gun fire. Those were the real anti-fascists. Now, here's the thing. Fascism is authoritarianism taken to the nth degree it's where you know it's far 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 right extremism right it's what it's it's absolutely what hitler was we can all look at that and be disgusted by people that are fascists benito mussolini adolf hitler those are fascists what this current crew of young white hipsters in seattle and portland and places like that have done is they have co-opted and corrupted the movement now the fbi director just testified in front of congress last week and christopher ray said when he was asked about this no they don't have a centralized command but yes it is an ideology and these black block it's called black block these youngsters that that dress in black and any authority figure from law enforcement to the clergy to you know the judicial branch. Anybody that tells you what to do is ergo a fascist. It's a joke. And it's almost like the Black Lives Matter movement. Look, none of us, none of us sane people would ever argue that black lives don't matter. Of course they do. And black people in this country, look, they've had to work harder. They've had to deal with much more difficult issues than even immigrants. My family is Sicilian immigrants than what they dealt with. We get that. But when you're based in a Marxist ideology and you wanna destroy the nuclear family and you view police as inherently racist, you lose all of us. So this Antifa group, which is loosely affiliated, it is an ideology, there's no centralized command, but to pretend that they are not the ones behind the riots, the vandalism, the anarchy, the acts of arson, the attacks on police, Betsy, it's a lie. Of course they are.
0: How are we going to stop them, Jimmy? What do people need to do? What does law enforcement need to do?
1: So, so first of all, you know, and I think you and I spoke about this earlier before we went on air, but a big part of this is this aversion to the militarization of police. Look, I'm old enough to remember back in the early 90s, the North Hollywood, California shootout where police were armed with revolvers and shotguns trying to deal with these, these two men who were bank robbers who were outfitted in, you know, in, in, in body armor and automatic weapons. I'm also old enough to remember the 1986 Miami FBI shootout with a bunch of bank robbers that were again, heavily armed. Look, people are gonna argue and say, well, Jimmy, that was 1986 in the early 90s. Come on, stop it, it's 2020. Just go back to 2015. You know, what happened in California? There was an incident out there where two people, two radicalized Muslims, went into a place, shot a bunch of people up, and then were armed to the teeth and were shooting it out with cops along the way as they were trying to get away. The bottom line is we need to provide our police with the ability to protect themselves and protect us. Nobody wants an occupying army in their neighborhood. I don't. You don't, nobody in Harlem or Bedford-Stuyvesant, New York, or in the poorest neighborhoods, no one wants an occupying army. But recent studies have shown, including a recent Gallup poll that said that 83% of African Americans believe that the police presence in their neighborhood is appropriate or there should be more police presence. Because here's the deal, mm-hmm. abolish the police, defund the police, you're not gonna hurt people living on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. You are going to hurt the people that need us the most. It's stupid, it's a folly, and it's dangerous.
0: And you know, you bring up radical Islam. While American law enforcement is out there, we're, we're trying to do all the things we have to do anyway. Go to the domestics, take the accident reports, deal with all these things and now we're all eating up with the protests and antifa and black lives matter and the anti-cop movement jimmy are we losing sight of terrorism are we losing sight of the continued threat of radical islam in this country
1: look i i think you know i think you know danger comes from all ends of the political continuum we know that we talked about this earlier before we were on air it comes from the far right with the fascists. It comes from you know white supremacists. It certainly comes from the far left and the extreme wings of you know radical Islam. Nobody is looking at Islam as a religion and suggesting that people who are peaceful Muslims practicing their faith in this country have anything to feel like we should be guilty because of the extreme fringes. But the extreme fringes, like the example I used in 2015 of the San Bernardino Valley. Um, shooting where a husband and wife team they're radicalized they're either they're either directed by people overseas whether it's ISIS or al-Qaeda or al-Shabaab or they're inspired there're two different kinds of threats the directed we're telling you that you need to make a lone wolf attack or inspired you're reading some type of radical ideology online and then you go and act on it and look it's 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 always involving usually young disenfranchised males and those are the people that we need to keep our eyes out on those are the people we need to make sure we engage with so that people don't go down into their parents basement get online look at some hateful mm-hmm. rhetoric whether it's on the right extreme or the left extreme and say i'm going to go out and i'm going to kill a cop or i'm going to blow up a peaceful gathering of people at a picnic something and we in law enforcement it's due diligence and we have to have a sense of eternal vigilance about us to make sure that that doesn't paralyze the country and make us walk around in fear.
0: And you know what, as we talk about all these things, it, it kind of occurs to me as, a, as we keep up with current events that the American public tends to have either a, an accidental or an intentional naivete about crime, about criminals, about bad people, and about our system even about our Constitution. It, it's Every time I open my Twitter feed, it's all about the feels, right? It's not really about real life. It, it, people don't understand our justice system. Do you find that to be true as well?
1: It's about emotions mm-hmm. and it's not about the facts. It's like me trying to argue to somebody where it's already baked into their DNA that cops are racists and the trope that is white cops are out hunting young African-American or young Latino men for sport, it's trying to dispel that trope, that canard, that absolute distortion of the truth. And look, and I, I don't wanna make this too New York City centric because that's where I cut my teeth as a, as a young cop, but the bottom line is I got to New York City in 1991 as a young FBI, FBI agent, Assigned to an FBI NYPD task force. At the end of the year before that, I arrived in 1990. New York City suffered 2,262 murders in a city of 8.4 million people. Last year, they had just over 300. Now, that's still 300 too many. But to disbelieve, to disbelieve your lying eyes and not suggest that stop question and frisk broken windows theory of policing, compstat that those things did not have a huge impact on taking crime from here down to here, a 95% reduction in violent crime. To dismiss that and say, correlation is not causation, and it could be due to the fact that there are more Starbucks now in New York than there were back in 1990, is just ridiculous. Proactive policing, is right now under assault, and we're going to go through this. Is our history in the United States a sine wave or a cosine wave where we do something, the pendulum swings, and then we overcorrect the other way. We're in an overcorrection right now. You want to fix stop, question, and frisk? You think it's applied, you know, not fairly or overly applied here and, and shouldn't let's do it. But to do away with it, which we just did in New York and in places like Chicago. Atlanta, Los Angeles, major cities, is going to result in exactly what you don't want. The loss of more and more black and brown lives. Don't those black and brown lives matter?
0: Well, and, and people need to realize that it, just because somebody gets arrested, doesn't mean they get prosecuted. And we're seeing that in Portland, we're seeing that in Seattle. In, in my native Chicago, We have a a state's attorney who refuses to prosecute almost 30% of the felonies. And so people get arrested. The police do their job. The public cooperates with the investigation. And yet the prosecutors, that piece of the justice system, they don't do their jobs either.
1: They're not doing their jobs. And you mentioned Chicago. Perfect example. I'll give you another one. Portland. In Portland with a mayor, Ted Wheeler, who is at war with the federal government. His city has been on fire now for 110 straight days. I mean, mm-hmm. federal buildings being attacked, police precincts being occupied, people wearing you know uh, improper political gear being shot dead in the streets, riots after riots after riots. And what does the DA there do? The people that are arrested by the police for inciting riots, for being part of an insurrection, are immediately released. In New York, same issue. The governor here in New York, Andrew Cuomo, as well as the New York State Assembly, what did they do? They passed this bill called bail reform. Now, bail reform sounds innocuous, it sounds righteous, right? If you're poor, you shouldn't be subjected to a different standard of justice than if you're a person of means. But what they're doing is, Anybody who's arrested for anything less than the most violent of crimes is immediately released back out on the street. What does that do? It makes it far more difficult for those cops that are out there on the beat. So we emptied the jails and the prisons for coronavirus. We enacted a law, bail reform, which was short-sighted and which basically is the cops will arrest somebody for inciting a riot Before that cop gets off of his shift, that person has already been released back out into the public. It is insanity, Betsy. And that's unfortunately what our young men and women in blue are dealing with right now in 2020.
0: How are we going to get those young people to become police officers? Because there's already a shortage and the shortage is going to continue what do we say to them to say, hey, come on, have the great adventure that we had? How do we encourage them?
1: That's a tough one, because I am a guy that, whether it's, you know, I'm a military guy and I'm a, and I'm a career law enforcement guy, I'm the guy that people send their kids to and say, can you talk to my kid on the phone? Can you meet with him for dinner? Can you talk to them about a career so they can do what you did? For decades, that's what I've done and I'm struggling right now. Betsy, I, I wanna do that because I believe in the, in the nobility of our profession. The problem is, would I wanna subject anybody's kids to what our men and women in blue right now are being subjected to? And the question is, I have to stop. And I have to think about it and I have to go, man, I got to give you the straight facts here. I I want you to join the profession. We need good people. And those people are being turned off. They're going into other professions. We need you, but you need to know what you're going to face. I had a president and a governor and a mayor. I had people, an FBI director. I had people that I knew had my back. I can't say that anymore at all levels. And that's what young folks are unfortunately gonna be dealing with Betsy going forward. I wish I had a cheerier outlook. I still don't talk people out of it. I just make sure that I add the caveats and saying, policing now is far different than it was when you and I joined the profession.
0: Absolutely. And, and that's what the National Police Association is trying to do is to garner more support because there, most people support us. The recent Rasmussen polls show that and, and people are really worried that they're not gonna have enough police officers to respond to those calls. We look forward to your continued writings, your media appearances, and I really look forward to your, uh, to your research that'll be coming out. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, join us at nationalpolice.org.